Welcome to the show. In today's podcast, we have Allison Lighthizer. When she was 16, she contracted a virus that went to her spinal cord and caused her to become a quadriplegic. Unwilling to accept this, she spent two decades learning and healing. She started her path as an alternative healthcare practitioner and her own clinic in 2009, where she combined Z-Health, integrative manual therapy, bioproton therapy, and more to heal her patients' health challenges and help them find their way to wellness. In this episode, we'll be talking about de-stressing to heal hormones and more by balancing your nervous system please enjoy. Before we head into today's episode, I'm excited to share some details with you from today's sponsor, Dr. Stephen Cabral, board-certified doctor of naturopathy and author of The Rain Bale Effect, whom I've had on the show in the past. He has a really incredible offer for listeners today that will help you hit the whole body reset button and get guaranteed results or your money back. Are you struggling to lose weight and keep it off? Are you tired of trying fad diets and juice cleanses only to be disappointed by the outcome? The way to finally lose weight and get well is by removing the underlying root cause holding you back. You're liver filters all the blood in your body every six minutes, but with the influx of toxins in our environment, our livers cannot keep up and our bodies have no choice but to store these toxins in our fat cells, organs, even our brain, so they're not floating around in the blood system. Over time, this toxin buildup begins to cause symptoms of poor health. The Dr. Cabral Detox is a comprehensive full-body functional medicine detoxification system that gently eliminates harmful toxins while rebalancing the body at an underlying root cause level. Benefits of the 21-day detox include decreased bloating and puffiness, lose weight, speed up metabolism, rebalance your hormones, reset healthy inflammation levels, get clear skin, enjoy healthy blood sugar levels, increase energy, improve sleep, strengthen your digestion. This detox has been proven to work for tens of thousands of people just like you. As a limited time offer, Dr. Cabral is providing $100 off a 21-day detox or $20 off a 7-day detox. Head on over to stephencabral.com slash cat, K-A-T, to reserve your detox today. <laughs> Welcome to the Kaka TV podcast, your source for all things health, happiness, and beauty. Hi, Allison. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Kat. I am delighted to be here. So before we get into balancing the nervous system and hormones, tell us a little bit about you and your journey. Yeah, I, I came into a health the health world as a very sick teenager. I had had quite a lot of health challenges growing up. And then, you know, I think we can all experience where we we have this accumulate accumulation in our bodies. And I had a virus in my spinal cord after a number of other things that happened to me. And what happened is the, the virus ended up eating away my nervous system, my organs, and it made me quadriplegic. So I could not turn my head. I could not brush my own teeth. I could not wipe myself after going to the bathroom. So I was really, really ill and the doctors didn't know what was wrong with me. They figured out that it was a virus, but it wasn't like meningitis or something that they had worked with before. So they basically scratched their heads and sent me home with a lot of pain medication. And then we tried specialist after specialist, as, as you can relate to, going to, to so many different doctors and nobody really knowing what was wrong. And then about a year later, we had tried, we'd gotten some information to try this alternative clinic and we flew there, which if you can imagine flying with quadriplegic is very challenging. <laughs> we flew there and they said that they thought they could help us. And my mom was with me and she and I both just started crying that 
that invitation to hope and to really think that maybe this could be different was not something that we had encountered before. We believed it ourselves, but we hadn't seen that reflected back in the medical community. So it was really, really amazing to hear those words. So we started working with them and they have a very holistic approach and they were able to get me back on my feet. I, I went from not being able to really move. And five months later, I was walking with a cane. I, I was, my function came back really quickly. What, what did take longer was like the seizures that I was having and the organ damage that had happened and rebuilding the, the nervous system. So the, the healing that I went through was so profound. I wanted to do that for other people. I wanted to bring other people hope and I wanted to put the puzzle pieces together for people had been everywhere else and needed to get better. So that's how I got into my profession and I started taking classes and learning and my health journey didn't stop after five months. It took me 20 years to get really fully better, but I, I learned so much along the way and it really lit a fire in me to help others and, and to serve people who have chronic illness and chronic pain. What are the main types of people that you serve? What are they dealing with? I don't have a big specialization. I have a huge range of people that I help like with traumatic brain injuries, with low back pain, with hormones, with MS, with Lyme disease, with auto, like a lot of gut autoimmune kind of things. I have an online program where it's kind of for anybody who wants to get better. There are tools to help you reset your nervous system, to help you be able to eliminate better, detox better, so you can clean out what needs to happen. And there's so many people that I've encountered and it's so fun to, if you have a brain and you have organs, I can help you. It's really neat to see all different walks of life and I've treated newborns to 90 year olds. So it's really fun to serve people in that way, yeah. Why do you think there's so many people out there dealing with chronic stress, chronic pain, and there's now like an epidemic of female hormonal imbalances? Yeah, I think that there are so many factors that that go in that. Right now, we are exposed to somewhere between 700,000 and 2 million toxins every single day. And we are now seeing those toxins and those carcinogens showing up in the mom's uterus so that the baby is being exposed to those toxins and those cancer-causing harmful agents before day one. Even they're developing in this stagnating, <laughs> gross stuff that we wouldn't want for anybody. So we have this kind of backlog, I think, in our generation. And I think that has to do with breakdown in diet. I think that has to do with our, our environment. I think that has to do with our lifestyle. So there's not a lot of time when people are taking time to care for themselves. Rest is not a value of our American society. Rest is looked down upon as a week or something you only do if you have to. We try and get away with as little sleep as possible to be the most productive. We try and do, maybe we do a detox for a week or a meditation retreat for one weekend in a year, but it's not typically a practice unless we're forced into it, unless we have some sort of path that has taken us down a healing journey and we realize the importance of inserting those practices. So I think it's really a, a combination of a lot of different factors. And have you heard of Pottinger's cat? They did that. They did that study on cats and they were feeding them different things. And one group of cats, they fed them powdered milk. And one group of cats, I think they fed them raw milk. I can't even remember. And then something else, I think they fed them meat. And so they were seeing how the cats developed 
generation after generation and when it was the generation that the, the diet really showed up. And I think it was the third or fourth generation where these cats were being born with all these abnormal bone structures and they were having these horrible health problems and really brittle bones. And so I think that we are in the generation of yeah, you know, the the white sugar and flour has been in our society for long enough that we're in the generation where we're seeing all the breakdown. And there's an incredible amount of new diagnoses for pediatric, like pediatric MS. Like that wasn't a thing. There's so many kids that are so sick. And I think that's part of the breakdown that we're seeing. Yeah. So I've heard you mentioned Epstein-Barr earlier, and you said that it, it can cause, I think, I don't know if it was you or someone else that said it can cause MS in some people. And then I also heard that it can also cause PCOS and hormonal problems. So why do you think so many people have Epstein-Barr and we're not really being tested for it? And I don't know if the tests even work. So what do you think about that? Well, I've heard that 95% of the population has Epstein-Barr. And we are in a, this new experience of really focusing on viruses and their effects and their long-term effects. But there's um, like herpes zoster is the shingles virus and um, Epstein-Barr is like mono basically. And there's so many viruses that live in the liver and hibernate in the liver. And so in the liver is where we have to make all of the precursors for the hormones. So if your liver is busy, dealing with all these viruses, whether they're super active in your whole body or not, they're taking up space and they're taking up energy. So if you have hormones and you're not making great hormones to build upon, it's going gonna, it's gonna to catch up with you. And the liver also has to have the job of detoxing and recycling all those old hormones out of the body that we don't need anymore. So Again, if it's full, we don't do a great job when we're, when we're full and the liver has 500 other jobs to do every single day anyway. So I think viruses can take its toll on so many different aspects of the, our system, like so many different parts of us can be very irritated by viruses and that inflammation that just goes and goes. And a lot of times people talk about the virus, but not often the viral byproduct, like the nagley. So if you think about if there is a frog that dies in a swimming pool, like that's not a big deal, you scoop it out, right? But if it stays there for a day, a week, a month, a year, like you, you can't even use the pool anymore. It's awful, the, the yuck is all over the place. And that's what happens where sometimes the virus will die or the immune system will effectively be able to deal with the virus but the viral corpse or the die-off is what really irritates some people. So that can cause a whole myriad of other issues as well. And we have a, a community that is totally inefficiently detoxing. People aren't able to get things out. We're really stuck in our elimination. We don't poop as much as we should. We, we don't flush everything out and our lymphatic systems are backed up and we just don't have these detox practices that we're doing effectively. So I think it just builds up in our body and it's un, it leads to quite a bit of unhappiness in a lot of different tissues. So if we all have um, these viruses that are kind of slowing down the system or making things more difficult for us, do you think that we should be taking maybe antiviral herbs or something like a gentle antiviral maybe daily or should we do it like seasonally, like a parasite cleanse? Like how would you go about that? 
Yeah. And I, I think you said parasites so that also, I think people think of bacteria and virus and parasite and fungus and all these separate categories. But what tends to happen, especially if they've been there for a long time, they, they like to just join up, circle up, sing kumbaya. There's a, a whole lot of, there's this thing called a biofilm and it's like an invisibility cloak that these pathogens will put around them and then the immune system has a hard time recognizing them but inside they're they're feeding off the heavy metals they're having a party they're replicating so sometimes people will go to a mold doctor for example to address their mold toxicity or a heavy metal doctor to go to to address their heavy metal toxicity or a lime doctor and in reality you have to do them all you can't just do one because they're all linked up and the way that that affects us is, is hard because there's so many different ways that it can morph and there's a lot of backup in the body. And so when we take something daily, weekly, monthly, I think it's a great idea because we are always being exposed to these pathogens and these inflammatory agents. And I'm a huge lover of vitamin C. My body loves vitamin C, but other people like love glutathione or love ginger. So there's, I think there's so many different choices that we have to really fill our bodies with good options to help tap down the, the viral load. Yeah. I love ginger. So I try to have that as much as possible. I did not think that it was good for antivirals. I did not know about that. <laughs> I yeah, just thought ginger. it was good for the stomach. Yeah, ginger's great. Ginger's helps with the circulatory system and it also helps with inflammation. So it can just give your body a better leveling playing playing ground <laughs> to get rid of those things that's bothering it. Yeah. Mm, so kind of like frees up energy for other things. Okay, that's cool. Um, what effect does the brain have on hormone health? And when you say brain, is that your thoughts? Is that the organ? What is that? Yeah. I use the word brain and nervous system pretty interchangeably. And I, I mean the gears of our nervous system when I'm talking about that. So there's two gears of the nervous system, two primary ways that the brain reacts, different modes. So one is called the sympathetic nervous system. And that the nickname for that, you've probably heard it's fight or freeze. And then there's the parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest, digest, and heal. So I think of the nervous system as the gatekeeper for all health problems. It doesn't matter if you have anxiety, doesn't matter if you are constipated, doesn't matter if you have um, Hashimoto's. It's like anything <laughs> that we have to heal, we have to first address the nervous system. Because if you are stuck in that fight, flight, or freeze mode, you can't get into the rest, digest, and heal. You can't get into that parasympathetic mode to be able to begin to signal appropriately to your GI system, to your immune system. So there's so many cascading effects that happen. And like if you're in the fight, flight, or freeze, if you're in sympathetic, that's going to signal to your adrenals to make more cortisol, make more adrenaline because it's feeling stressed. The brain is interpreting something in your environment as a threat. And when that happens, that has a whole domino effect on all of our other hormones and it makes the estrogens into like bad estrogens. So if we're not address addressing first the nervous system, that gatekeeper of our wellness, then it's going to be hard. Like you can take supplements for your adrenals. You can take hormones. You can take um, vitamin C. <laughs> you can take whatever you want. But if your nervous system isn't receptive, it, if it can't use those, if it can't turn off the signaling to whatever is imbalancing the like the 
insulin and the cortisol, it's going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time getting past that. So I think of the brain slash nervous system as the gatekeeper for any kind of healing. And what influence does the brain have on our feelings of well-being? Yeah. So the, the brain has a huge Tremendous effect on our feelings of well-being. If going back to the the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, if you're in fight, fight, or freeze, if your brain is feeling threatened, you're going to have a low level or maybe a high level of anxiety or feeling like something's off, something I got to be on guard. I have to have hypervigilance. And that doesn't, doesn't make you breed feelings of peace and calm and harmony, right? You're, you're going to be feeling like a lion is chasing you on some level. And so the, addressing those two gears of the nervous system have a huge impact on on our mental health as well. And what aspects of our environment are giving the brain this information, like the most information that we need to be stressed or worried about something? Yeah, there's there's three main ways that our brain gets information. And that's through the visual system, through our eyes, what we see in our environment. And that's actually the, the system that gives us the most information. It's 10 million signals per second per eye. And when you think about, you know, evolutionarily, if we were hunting and gathering and we were out and we were looking for our food and then we saw a lion in the distance, if we see that lion, we can make a different survival choice. We can turn walk the other way. We can climb a tree, whatever we want to do. But if we get that information through other senses, like if we heard it walking next to us or if we felt its teeth on our arm, that would give us a different window of survival opportunity. So the visual system is hugely impactful in how the brain gets its information. So the visual system is one. The vestibular system is another, which is the inner ear, like how we are feeling upright (laughs) and how we are hearing, how we're taking in information that way. And then the last one is the proprioceptive system. So that's how you feel your back against the chair, your feet on the floor, your the wind, you know, caressing your your skin. So the the signals that the proprioceptive system gives our brain is where we are in our, in space and how we're interacting with our environment. So those are the three main ways that we get information, but there's a whole other, well, your other guests talked about the rain barrel effect. And I think about it differently. I call it the threat bucket, but it's the same idea where any little emotional, mental, social, spiritual, physical component going into our lives, going into our bodies, those are, those, those add up, those cum- accumulate and stress is cumulative. So eventually then the bucket's overflowing and those bucket, the overflow of the bucket is our symptoms. So it could be, you know, you had an infection and that was the last little bit of that, the space that you had in your bucket. And then all of a sudden you have all these problems, but what, what you're not taking into account maybe is like the, the arguing that you did with your spouse or the stress of, going away to boarding school when you're younger, or there's all these different things that can happen when we are much younger that we don't really think registered, or we, we don't feel like necessarily traumatized from, but our cells remember, our nervous system remembers, and that it adds up in that threat bucket. So there's all those other inputs that our brain takes and categorizes and stores. And so we do get primary information from our visual vestibular and proprioceptive systems, but it can be anything 
really that our brain can store and, and add up. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I believe that I've been in flight or flight for most of my life because even though I do all the things, I try to relax, I take long Epsom salt baths, I <laughs> do all these things to, and I have a very stress-free life. And now I still have like the memory of when I was growing up when I had stress, stress all the time. So now if any little thing happens, I get set off. Yeah. And it's just like, I know all the things. I know all of this already. But I still haven't been able to like kind of break through and just like react more, I guess, appropriately. Yeah. I think that's what we're looking for, right? We're looking for choices. We're looking to be able to respond instead of react. And we, I think we're all like that. <laughs> and that's what I love to do is help people learn how to um, modify and measure and create this environment for your nervous system because life happens like it's not like we live in a bubble and we're never going to be stressed again right there's stressful things that happen every day and that's personal that's in our community that's in our country that's in our world you know there's distressing things that are happening all, all the time but bringing ourselves back bringing ourselves back to that ability to to be in either sympathetic or parasympathetic in fight flight or freeze because that's appropriate that's not a bad thing that's that keeps us alive but we also need to have the ability to get into parasympathetic because how many people have sleep issues? How many people have digestive issues? How many people cannot move? They're stuck. They cannot heal. So a lot of that comes from the nervous system not having that flexibility to move back and forth in between the fight, flight, and freeze and rest, digest, and heal. And I've been thinking a lot about my friends that watch the news and they're always heightened and they get sick more, they're freaking out more, they're gaining weight more, their their health is just spiraling out of control. And then when I tell them they don't watch the news, they get so mad at me. They're just <laughs> like, you need to be aware. I'm like, why? What am I going to do about it? Well, you need to know. Why do, I, why do I care? They're like, what about this horrible thing happens? And I'm like, well, if it didn't happen to me, I need to focus on me. And they just can't stand that. But I see what it does to people. Yeah. You know, I don't know that we were designed to watch the news. I think we were designed to have our our family, our community. And we didn't used to have internet. <laughs> we didn't used to know all the horrible things that were happening. And so I don't know that we have the capacity to really track all these stories and maintain our peace and calm. So I, I think it's a huge problem. And uh, I'm, I know you've done a lot of elimination diets and so have I, but a lot of times I'll invite people to do an elimination diet of their, of their news addiction or their, of, um, you know, their phone. <laughs> so it's, it is a huge source of stress and continued hypervigilance for people. And it's, it's not <laughs> helpful if you're trying to get into that parasympathetic state for sure. So how does the brain play into adrenal fatigue? Yeah. So the brain, like we mentioned, the there's the fight, fight or freeze. There's sympathetic, the sympathetic nervous system. And then there's parasympathetic, the rest, digest and heal. So when the adrenals are fatigued, they've gotten this over, they've overgiven. The kidney and adrenals are like the battery of the body in Chinese medicine. That's where your chi lives. And what's so interesting is there's you know, a limit. We, ha we have a limited amount. We're just like a battery. There's only a certain amount of charge. And I like to think about it as a bank account where if you're only withdrawing, you're going to, you're going to reach your zero balance really quickly. So we have to be making deposits. And when we have adrenal fatigue, our adrenals are super tapped. They're really tired and 
in Chinese medicine, when the kidney and adrenals are are tapped, it'll dip into gallbladder energy. And that's often um, really frenetic, really spasmodic. It'll tighten everything in your body. Gallbladder is really associated with migraines. So a lot of times people who have the adrenal fatigue also have these other symptoms or these this chronic stiffness, tightness, headaches. Um, but when the nervous system is kind of the governor and that gatekeeper idea, if that brain is telling you there is a threat, we need to be ready, your adrenals are going to be continuing to create more and more stress hormones, even if they're tired, because they're trying to keep you alive, they're responding. The adrenal fatigue is an output to the brain's interpretation of whatever is coming in its field. So what I think is interesting about adrenal fatigue is the nervous system route, like viewing the nervous system as a gatekeeper is such an under looked at thing under looked at perspective. And so people will, you know, eat six times a day, they'll take a lot of vitamins and minerals, they'll do things to rest. But if you're not changing the way that your brain is interpreting your environment, you're still going to be in that sympathetic, you're still going to be in that fight, fight or freeze, and the signaling to your adrenals is going to be the same. So you can take as many supplements as you want. But if you don't change the signaling from the brain, from that fight, fight or freeze to your adrenals, it's going to the adrenal fatigue isn't going to change very quickly. I want to thank Kat so much for allowing me to share with you what I've been using in my practice now for well over a decade. This is Dr. Stephen Cabral. I run one of the largest functional medicine virtual practices in the world. We've helped well over a quarter of a million people to reach their goals, and I would love to be able to share with you what we do as a foundational protocol for those people so that you can achieve those same results as well. We help people get well, lose the weight, or live longer, stronger by beginning with a 7, 14, or 21-day functional medicine detox. This is actually an easy-to-implement protocol that enables then your diet plan or your exercise plan or your healthy living plan to stick. So it's going to get you the results that you're looking for by allowing your body to first rebalance healthy levels of inflammation, rebalance healthy levels of hormones, digestion, and so much more. But I don't want you to take just my word for it. Please do check out now well over 100,000 people and what they've been able to achieve by going to stephencabral.com forward slash cat. So how does training the brain make us feel better? And can you teach us a few things? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So what's interesting is what works for your nervous system might not work for my nervous system. So I like to teach people to monitor their own nervous system and one way we can do that is through range of motion. So if we stepped out on a icy pond, or we would immediately take shorter steps, we would tighten up, we would be walking very carefully, right? It's not the same way that we'd be walking in our kitchen, right? Because our brain is interpreting that surface as threatening. And that means that it's tightening up everything. And it's um, the nervous system is feeling unsafe. And it's doing those things to respond to whatever the interpretation is of the ice. So when people have a negative nervous system response, meaning that whatever we're going to do, your body doesn't really like, you'll notice a tightening, like you'll notice less range of motion. And if your nervous system does like it, you'll notice you can turn your neck further, you can raise your arm higher. So I like to just have people do a baseline, get a baseline, and then we'll do a couple drills and what 
what might work for you might not work for me. So it's really important to pay attention to your own nervous system. So just kind of move your head side to side, see where your neck range of motion is at, like lift your arm, see where, how far you can reach up. You can do like a, a forward bend or any movement really. You can also close your eyes and just get an internal sense of where you're at. Like if zero is, I feel completely calm and peaceful and 10 was I'm at a panic attack, you know, like just get a number because that number could also change. So when we do the range of motion, we're getting an idea of where our nervous system is right now. And we're going to change the input. So we would expect the output to change as well. So one thing that people really tend to respond well to is stimulating the vagus nerve. And that's the 10th cranial nerve. And it has a lot to do with the parasympathetic system, with our heart rate, with our digestion, with our neck range of motion, with our feeling of well being, having well-being. And the uh, the vagus nerve is a huge nerve. It comes out of the cranial base, out of the back of the head, goes around the neck, around the heart, and then all the way into the, all like all <laughs> into the digestive system. It's huge. And so we're going to do a drill and we're going to gargle. And the vibration of the gargling is going to stimulate the vagus nerve. So when we gargle, you want to feel your throat because sometimes you guys will notice that you, you only feel vibration on one side or the other. So you want to monitor and see that, make sure that you're gargling the vibrations happening on both sides. And if you aren't feeling it on the left, if you just like tip your head to the left a little bit, then it'll make sure that the, the fluid gets in there. And then another tip is don't take a very big sip. Just take a really tiny sip because otherwise it'll feel like you're drowning and you're choking. <laughs> so if we take a little sip and um, do, do you have water cat? Do you want to try it? I don't know if I want to gargle on here, but we can, we can do something else, but for the, for gargling, if you guys try it at home, if you do 10 seconds of gargling and you repeat it three times, that would be ideal. Sometimes you can't make it for that long. Sometimes you can't gargle for that long and that's okay. Just do it for as long as you can. And then I want you to recheck your range of motion because what normally happens is people feel better. They feel calmer. They have more range of motion. Their brain is interpreting like, Hey, I like that. I'm going to, I feel safer so I can move better. I can perform better. I can think better. I can digest better. And when people have a difficult time digesting and absorbing their food, just doing, you know, when you go wash your hands before a meal, like just gargle, gargle a little bit before you sit down at the table to eat and you'll have a better chance of being able to utilize the nutrients that you're consuming because the, when you do the, the gargling, it can stimulate that parasympathetic nervous system that rest, digest and heal. So that's one wonderful drill to help train your brain and just change the input that it's getting. So I feel like I need to start figuring out how to incorporate gargling to my daily habits because ever since I stopped using Listerine when I was younger, I haven't been gargling. Yeah. And that's, that's a good, just have a cup by your toothbrush. Cause if at least you're getting it twice a day, getting it twice a day, it doesn't have to be Listerine for sure. Yeah. That's a great, great point. I love having a daily active thing that I'm doing along with the drill. So if I get up in the morning and I'm making tea while the kettle is boiling, 
I'm going to do some things to train my brain to set me up to have the best day possible so that my nervous system can respond instead of react. So there's a ton of, there's proprioceptive drills, meaning like moving your joints around in a certain way to help bring a more clear map of where your body is to your brain. And when you have a clear map, you typically respond really well. Like think about if you're driving to a new place, if you're driving to a friend's house that you've never been to before and your phone's not working and what happens to your posture, you, you don't know where you are. You start to lean over the steering wheel, your, your heart rate changes, your breathing changes, you're looking around, you know, frantically trying to find an address or get some sort of orientation for where you're at. But what if you were able to just refresh your browser and then the map would clarify and you'd be like, oh, okay, I just, I got three more doors down, then I'm gonna be there. You, you immediately feel relief, you immediately change your posture and your breathing and your heart rate and your hormones and all those things. So when you move your joints around, there's receptors on all the different bones and they send new messages to the brain. So we're pretty habitual in the way we move. You know, we, we text, we type, we walk, we sit. We do a lot of sitting. So when we can move those joints in a different way, there is a immediate change in the brain because the brain has a new map. It knows where your foot is or your wrist or your elbow or whatever drill you're doing. And what's beautiful about that is any kind of information, any clarification of the map for your body is really helpful for your brain and feeling safe and getting more into that parasympathetic, that rest, digest, and heal. Because if, if something's blurry, you don't know what's happening there. It could, there could be a lion just saw in the back of you, you know, there, there could be something threatening and your brain doesn't really know until you tell it otherwise. Can you give us some examples how you might use some techniques to calm down in real life situations? Yeah. One of my go-tos is a breathing exercise because that is a backdoor into the nervous system. When you're really, really overwhelmed, Sometimes the visual drills or the vestibular drills or the proprioceptive drills is just another input that's too much and you can just make your brain feel even more overwhelmed. So I love to do a breathing drill called alternate nostril breathing. Nadi Shodna, if, if you guys are familiar with that, and you close one nostril and you inhale through that side. And then at the top of the breath, you switch and you exhale through the other side. And then you inhale through that same side, uh -oh. switch at the top of the breath, exhale to the other side. So you're slowing down your breath and you're stimulating both sides of your brain. And what happens with that is if there is a overabundance of stress signals happening, when we breathe, we have this backdoor ability to tell our brains that it's okay. Because if you were running from a predator, you would have a very quick, shallow breath, right? You would be taking breaths like we usually take all day long. <laughs> but if you do a purposeful breath and you do a breathing technique that is calming, that tells your brain, oh, well, you wouldn't be breathing like that if we were in danger. So it must be okay. So it's kind of this backdoor into the brain. So I love to do the alternate nostril breathing when I'm driving. <laughs> I'm often quite stressed if I'm late. That's like a trigger for me. That's the input that my brain interprets as overwhelming and and threatening. So if I'm running late, then I'm usually feeling stressed. So I will do alternate nostril breathing when I'm in the car, when I am um, about to go to bed, I'll do that to help bring my nervous system down. 
before I go into a stressful situation, I'll do that. So the breathing can be a wonderful way to give your brain information that it's, it's okay, it's safe, and that it can be in that parasympathetic mode. It can rest, it can digest, and it can heal. I like that one. And um, other than that, are there anything, because I know about the alternate natural breathing. I've yeah. tried that before. But is there any other technique, maybe like like thought-wise, that you can do to kind of calm down? Yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, the research is saying that the brain doesn't know that it, there's not a big difference in it between imagination and reality. So there's all these really neat studies about how people imagining doing something get similar gains as people who are actually doing it. There was a, a pinky exercise study that was done and there was a control group and they were doing nothing. They weren't doing any pinky exercises. There was one group who was like doing some sort of weightlifting with their pinkies. And then there was another group that was just imagining doing the same exercise, but they were not doing it. They were just imagining it. And the results were that the control group got no strength gains in their pinkies. The the people that were doing the actual weightlifting with their pinkies got strength gains. And then the people that were imagining it got 80% of the same results. So it's pretty amazing. Like we have a huge God-given uh, ability to imagine. And I think that's an incredible advantage that we have. And when we are trying to calm down and we can use our imagination to do so because our environment is constantly threatening, right? We, we talk about the news and whatever the, the, the child screaming in the other room or, um, you know, our environment isn't going to change necessarily. Our environment, our stress is still going to come to us in the day. So we need to get better at de-stressing. So if you can imagine a safe place and have your body really settle there, that can be a way to do it too. And what's also interesting is, you know, we talked about the ways that the brain gets inputs the in through our sensory organs, our eyes and our ears and our touch. And so when we layer on those experiences in our imagination, in our imaginary safe place, that makes it much more real for our nervous system and much more tangible for us to create those new neural pathways. So if you were imagining a safe place and then layering on like, what do you experience when you're there, that's a very powerful way to start moving into a more parasympathetic state, into that calm place where we can begin to heal and rest. That makes a lot of sense because I can totally imagine myself into like so much stress and agony <laughs> just by overthinking things, creating a fantasy situation that it's never going to happen, like a parallel dimension. And then I get all upset about it in this imaginary scenario. And I'm, then afterwards, I'm just like, I'm insane. I just spent all that time <laughs> making myself feel bad for no reason. Yeah, we, we all do. It's anticipation, right? We, we can feel the butterflies in our stomach or the muscle tension. We can create physical changes in our body just with our imagination. So why can't we do it the other way? We can totally do it the other way. We just don't usually take the time to do it. Do you think I can imagine myself doing crunches every night and then get abs? <laughs> yeah, I think you could. <laughs> I think you totally could. At least 80% of the abs that I would have gotten. <laughs> Definitely. Okay, so that's cool. Let's see. What if someone is extremely hypersensitive to everything around them? How can they better deal? 
yeah, the hypersensitivity is something that I really experienced. My nervous system was toast and every little stimulus, like even um, you know, a pen that you click to have the bottom drop, um, just someone clicking a pen would make my nervous system have a seizure. Like I would totally go off the deep end if anyone spoke in more than a whisper at, at a certain period of time. So the hypersensitivity is there is so much simulation and the body doesn't know what to do with it. So any little thing, it's that threat bucket. It's that idea of the threat bucket where your threat bucket is already overflowing. So any tiny little thing can spark a reaction rather than a response. There's no choices in your nervous system when you're hypersensitive. You react to everything. And so that, that could be food. That could be um, like mast cell. That could be autoimmune. It could present for you in any number of ways. But when we train the brain and we are giving the brain inputs that it recognizes as safe and kind of re refreshes our map of our body, it's like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess I don't have to respond in that way. You know, I don't have to react. I can, I can do something different. So there's a whole process of figuring out, you know, what your nervous system needs. And sometimes what it needs is more fuel. Like if you don't have enough oxygen or glucose to your brain, you're, you're not going to be able to have very many choices. So sometimes a breathing drill does really well for people who have um, hypersensitivity. Sometimes that's a nice way to start. Uh, sometimes people need uh, a removal of stimuli before they can really enter into even investigating what their nervous system likes or doesn't like, like a, a sensory deprivation tank kind of thing or going into a dark room. And there's, there's something to be said when the nervous system can just take a break and not have so many sensory inputs, you know, 10 million signals per second per eye is a ton of sensory input that our visual system gives us. So just uh, closing our eyes, putting an eye patch on, you know, putting um, an eye mask on rather would be really helpful to just take a step back and have the body, give the body a bit of room to reevaluate what's actually happening and what it needs. I remember when I was, um, I was a social worker before and I actually went to school at night to do aesthetics just so I can get facials every single night. And I would just kind of go to sleep almost, and they would do facials on me to practice. So I'm like a facialist, even though I never really did that. But I thought it was great because it was such a stressful, horrible job that yes. it was the best thing that I could do. Yeah. So giving yourself that proprioceptive input to your brain really helps your brain reorganize and, and re-evaluate where you were at and you could get back into the parasympathetic nervous system state. That's awesome. So I know in like, you do Chinese medicine or, or no? I don't. No, not, okay. not specifically. I, I've drawn from, I don't do one thing. <laughs> I do tons of different things. So I've drawn from a lot of different learning and, you know, I'm a lifelong learner. So that's, I just take what I get from everything. I know that in Chinese medicine, they say that anger can harm your liver and fear the kidney, worry, the spleen and so forth. Do you think that's like a real thing and that we're just not paying attention to in, in Western culture? Yes, 100%. I absolutely do think that. And it goes back to that threat bucket and how any little piece of emotions or mental thought patterns or belief systems can fill us up in negative capacity. And I think 
stress is cumulative, like that anger or that worry is cumulative and our bodies hold it, our cells hold it. And if you've ever seen What the Bleep Do We Know? It's like a quantum physics documentary. And I love the little visuals that they had of how the cells and the receptors of the cells were reacting to this, the main character's pro thought processes of she was saying to herself, like, I'm not good enough. I'm fat. I'm all these things. And the way that information was coming and actually changing her cell receptors and creating this cascade of hormones was really neat to see how they illustrated it. So we have all these charges inside of us and every emotion has a charge. Every thought has a charge and our organs will, will hold on to certain charges more than others. So the anger's liver, like you said, and we have this ability to, to contribute to that charge or to balance it. And the other thing about that is a lot of times people only talk about the negative side of that spectrum, but I think every organ holds this plethora, this bandwidth of options. So on one side of the liver is anger and frustration. And on the other side, it's path and purpose. So if you are really angry, if you're really frustrated, you're not going to be able to see where you need to go in life, do what you need to do in life, because it's going to hold you back. So when we are so heavily dysfunctional in that one side of the spectrum, we don't get the other side. Another example would be the ureters. They connect the kidneys to the bladder and they're about letting go. They're about letting go. And they're also about expression, like expressing who we are. So if you imagine if you weren't letting go, say you were holding 10 grocery bags and we couldn't even see you behind all the grocery bags, we couldn't really tell who you were. We couldn't hear your voice. It would be muffled. There's all these ways that we bury ourselves with things that we're not letting go of. So that spectrum shows up in every organ. And there's this whole wonderful way that we can connect with that and change it with just using our own hands. And it's called neurofascial processing, NFP for short. And that's something that I love to teach people how to do. It's, uh, it's an incredible way to heal yourself. And that's something that I did a lot when I was 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, trying to get better and helping my organs come back into a place of balance and be able to access both sides of the spectrum. Because it's not bad to be angry. You know, like we, we have that in us. It's just when we get stuck there. And when we get stuck there, then we can't access moving forward in our path and purpose. How does mental spiritual charges affect us? And are there any ways that we can remedy that? Or is that kind of like what you were saying? Yeah, those are all encompassed in the organ. There's certain ones that tend to react more with mental thought patterns rather than emotions. And same with spiritual. But they all play in and they all arrest us in that negative aspect of, of the spectrum that the organ has. And with the GI, the large intestine and the small intestine are about worry. So if you and we mentioned it before, like we can think something, we can have a thought about something that we're feeling nervous about, and we can feel it in our stomach, just thinking about it. There's, you can feel in your own body, those correlations. It's not rocket science. <laughs> there's, you're like, oh yeah, duh. I feel worry in my intestines. So there's certain organs that seem to correlate more with the mental aspect of our mind, body, spirit, three-dimensionality, three <laughs> three-dimensionality, but there are other organs that seem to be more about emotions and others more about like spiritual, really spir deep spiritual questions and 
how we exist in the world and what that means. Can you tell us a little bit about what you think about the idea that, okay, I've had some people on the podcast and they say, a lot of my um, listeners, they have PCOS or hormonal problems. They're like, a lot of that is caused by maybe some sort of childhood trauma. And they're like, that's how it manifests. And if you have this trauma, it'll manifest in this quote unquote disease or disorder. And if you have this trauma, it can manifest in that one. Do you believe that there's anything to that, that it's that specific? Mm, that's a great question. I haven't seen that in my practice. I've seen if if 10 people came in with PCOS or MS or fatty liver, it would manifest differently for everybody. And I, I also get like different ages will pop up like, okay, well, let's let go of the fear that you had as a two-year-old or, you know what I'm saying? Like it'll be kind of a different way that people got there, their threat bucket filled differently and in, at different times with different aspects of physical or emotional, mental, spiritual components. So to me, I think everyone's a bit different and I don't place a lot of weight on diagnoses because it t tends to look differently to me when I'm looking and working with them. It's It shows up, everybody's different. Everybody has their own fingerprint and I think it gets you get to be that place. There can be similarities. There's usually like a trauma. There's usually a toxin. There's usually an infection and some kind of combination of those. But I wouldn't say like everyone who falls down the, the stairs gets X, Y, and Z. I haven't seen that in my practice, no. Okay, fair enough. Because I do understand what you were saying that, for example, whenever I drink milk, I'm fine. But if I have a very stressful event or a test coming up and I drink milk, my stomach is a mess. And then running to the bathroom, I'm bloated. I'm just miserable. So if I went to the doctor, they would say, you're just lactose intolerant. <laughs> and they completely don't even ask you about how you feel, what was going on, what was the situation. So where do you think that we need to go where actual regular everyday doctors can ask these questions. What are we not doing in our healthcare system? Oh gosh, <laughs> so much. I, I think there's, you said in our healthcare system. So I think that's a great place to start because I don't really think what we have right now is a healthcare system. I think we have a, a disease care system and I don't think doctors are exposed to it's not, They're doing their the best they can. They don't know the there's that they should inquire about those things. They haven't been taught. They're not doing it to be jerks. They're doing it because that's what they've been taught. So I think there's a real lack of awareness and education around lifestyle. For for example, like when people go in, they say they're depressed and the doctor gives them an SSRI. That drives me crazy <laughs> because 80% of the serotonin that we have is made in the gut and just doing some dietary changes could make you feel better or managing your stress could make you feel better. You know, there's all these other things instead of putting a chemical in your body that could change it. And so I just don't think there's very much awareness. I think that's why alternative healthcare and why podcasts and blogs and things that you're doing are so important because people don't have access to that information. Their doctors aren't telling them. And unless they go out on their own and get curious and get motivated to heal themselves, they're not gonna really encounter that in the doctor's office. I've noticed that in the last few years, there has been this complete backlash against alternative medicine. First, we were doing very well. 
things were moving, it was becoming more open, more people were going to alternative healthcare workers, and it was fine. And then the last couple of years, something happened where now it's just like they're attacking them. They're like, that's not real medicine. That's fake. That's pseudoscience. And it's kind of like we've been set back again. Why do you think that's there's this now shift in that direction? And is there anything that we can do about that? I, I think that there's a real increase of fear and a looking for somebody with a white lab coat to stand up and tell us what, what is true. And as alternative healthcare pract- practitioners, we don't have that authority necessarily in society. You know, we, we've been working on it and it's been getting better and better. But when, when push comes to shove and that fear is ruling, when that the amygdala, when the, when the sympathetic nervous system comes on board, the fight, flight, or freeze, like we tend to revert back to childlike behaviors, right? And that's, that's often looking to a doctor, an authoritative figure that is well respected and recognized in society. And it might not be your acupuncturist that's telling you something different. It might not be the chiropractor or the naturopath. So I think to me, it, it correlates with the rising amount of fear and anxiety that people are having. Yeah, I see that a lot. My husband does acupuncture and he goes to these seminars. And, and I, of course, I watch over his shoulder because they're all online now. They'll be talking about this is what fixes this and this, but because of what's going on now, we can't talk about that. So you have to check if your client's open to hear it first. And I'm just like, this is really a scary time. Yeah. Where we have to like worry about like how to tell somebody something that will help them. Yeah. Yeah. There is a huge trend towards narrowing our mindset, I think, about what's possible. And we've been living very small lives these last couple of years and our our focus is pretty different. So I, I think that's so true. You have to really check your audience, check your client with with what information you're sharing. And I, I typically don't attract people that are like that. They like, they know they can get better. They know there's a different way and they know that it's, it's hope is happening and healing is going to happen. They just don't know how yet. And they've already tried those <laughs> ways. So usually the people that I see, they, they kind of are, are already like, I know my doctor didn't recognize this, or I had to tell them to do this test or this test. And, you know, they, they have experienced not having great care from the traditional medical system. And I think there's a time and place for everything. Like doctors are awesome and emergency room care is amazing. You know, how many lives have been saved, but from a perspective of a mystery disease or not understanding exactly what's wrong with you. I think that's, those are the people that I usually see and they are, have already gone to all the doctors that have not helped them. So I think they're usually pretty open and it is weird when, <laughs> when you're like, but this would help you. And they're like, no, <laughs> I don't think so. So I'm like, okay, well, have fun then. Enjoy. <laughs> so have you seen any uptick in any specific type of condition in the last maybe two years? Anxiety, for sure. Anxiety, depression. And then 95% of all disease is stress-related, right? So I think everyone's getting pretty sick. There's a lot of uptick in a in lot of cancers, a lot of different diseases that I'm seeing. But I would say anxiety is the number one thing that is ex- rearing its head as the output of 
all the different environmental experiences that we're having. Yeah. I remember I, I had in the beginning of what's going on the situation, which I won't say, but that I started getting thyroid problems. Like I got a, a nodule and I never had thyroid issues before. And then I have this lump coming up and it's very unsightly because that's the first thing you notice. So I'm trying to get appointments everywhere and they are booked up for like six, eight, 10 months in advance. And I'm just like, what is going on? And then I finally get there like almost a year later and they're like, yeah, it was unprecedented. The amount of people with thyroid conditions, it has never been like this before. And I'm just like, yeah, something is definitely up. We need to calm down. We're all being stressed out, I think on purpose. Yeah. I the thyroid in the work that I do has to do with boundaries and speaking your truth. And I think there's been such a taboo, like you can't talk about certain yeah, things. You can't express what you really think. And otherwise you'll be like crucified. So it's there is a huge risk with that. And from a boundary perspective, I really felt like the collective unconscious being so much heavier and so much more demanding, like the fear and the anxiety, like that is a huge morphic field that we were all being exposed to. And unless you were purposefully cutting yourself off from that, like cutting the umbilical cord to that, you were being like washed, marinated in everybody else's fear and anxiety, even if you weren't like having it yourself, it was almost impossible to escape unless you were going through very specific <laughs> protocols to disengage with that. So that's so interesting. Yeah, the thyroid for sure. I think thyroid is a big deal for women anyway. There's not too many women that I know that don't that aren't on thyroid something or other. Because I think we often don't speak our truth or we don't have good boundaries. We don't have um, clear expectations in our relationships. So that's a, a huge where place in the body in women's bodies where where we get eroded. Yeah, and everything going on online I think has made us all very stressed out. So that's why I'm trying to get off of Facebook, which is really hard when you have a business, but I'm like I don't really need to be on there. I don't get that many people from there, but for some reason you have well maybe there's one or two <laughs> and I'm just like I shouldn't be on Facebook. Facebook. When you have a business, it's hard. Have you ever thought about maybe moving your, because I know you have a group, maybe a group offline off of Facebook where you can have more say and control, like maybe down the line, because I oh, think gosh. we might have to. All the time, Kat. <laughs> I think about it all the time. And I started it. I've actually only had the group because I was very <laughs> anti-social media for a long time. I, I only started the group in February of, of 2021. So it's been a short-lived kind of thing. And I, every day practically, oh, should I move it? Should I change it? And I haven't yet, but I might, I might. Yeah. I've been thinking that too, because I love the community of having a message board, but I just don't like being on somebody else's platforms and having to play by the rules. Yeah. It's been so interesting. The algorithm changes and all the game, <laughs> the game changing things that have been happening. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. interesting. That's for sure. But I like email. I always tell everybody, if you have any questions, email me. That's the best way. I'm not going to be on the social media places for you as much. But email. I like email. Anyways, what are some other ways that people can work with you? Do you do one-on-one -on -one group work? What are the ways? Yeah, I do one-on-ones, but my practice has been really full for a while. So I'm not accepting any more one-on-ones right now. But I do have a group program that I'm doing. And that is, it's called Inner Restoration. And it teaches you, you know, 
you mentioned also that you you had the diagnosis of PCOS, but it wasn't just one thing that helped you. Like you had to work on the GI and the immune system and all those things. You have to do all the things. So my program incorporates the nervous system training and how that affects our bodies. It incorporates how you can heal yourself by through the neurofascial processing, through helping your organs release those mental, emotional, spiritual, physical components to what's making you sick and not and holding you back. And then it also has all those techniques to help you eliminate. Like a lot of people focus on detox, but people can't detox. <laughs> I think they need, you need to open up your lymph. You need to open up your colon and before you do like a liver detox. So there's the program incorporates a ton of different ways to calm your nervous system, to build safety in your body so that you can start to change and heal and, and feel better finally. <laughs> Awesome. So I love that. And do you have any tips for people who go through detox reactions, like really extreme ones? Because I know I do, and a, a few people reached out to me and they said they're the same, that I'm not yeah. unique. I get like migraines and nausea, and apparently that's common. Totally common. Yeah. The Herxheimer reaction is intense. And a lot of doctors, it's so interesting to me because a lot of doctors are like, oh, that's great. That means you're detoxing. And to me, that that means that something isn't quite right. Like you, we should be able to take things in and let things go effortlessly. Like we were designed that way. So if you're having a big Herx reaction to me, that tells me that your organs of elimination aren't working properly and you can't let go of the things that you're starting to stir up. So sometimes when you do a detox, you're just like dusting the room and stirring up all these things, but you don't have a great like air filtration system or you don't have, you're not vacuuming afterwards, whatever. So it's, it doesn't have to be like that. And that's a big focus in my group program because it's so common. It's so common. And when people have been so sick, they get so sensitive and a little bit of an input, a little bit of a activated charcoal even could make that person feel really ill. So that's a big focus in my program. Yeah. That's cool. So I love that you do that. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you'd like to mention before we go? I love to tell people that healing is possible. Healing is available and hope is there. So don't give up, you guys. You're, you're doing awesome and you're going to find the answers. Thank you for listening to the show. Please show your support for the podcast by leaving a five-star review. Learn more about the show and what I have to offer you at katkatibi.com. Consider being a part of the new Patreon, where episodes are ad-free and you'll find extra bonus content. Send a voicemail question or email me. Check the show notes for more information. I had an episode a while back with Dr. Mona Fahum of Feminescence, and we spoke about Feminescence, Maca Harmony, and their Maca products. And if you're a woman who's ever had hormonal imbalances, if you're trying to come off the birth control pill, or even if you're going through menopause, this is a natural way to help ease that transition and to help balance your hormones. There's nothing quite like it, so go to feminescence.com, enter code CAT15, K-A-T-1-5, for 15% off any of their single pack products, and definitely go check out the episode. Just search for Mona Fahum on my podcast and listen. You won't regret it.
This podcast is for informational merrymaking and metaphysical purposes only. Statements and views are not medical advice. This podcast, including Kakatibi, disclaim any adverse effects by the use of information you may have heard. Opinions of guests are totally their own. This podcast does not endorse statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guests' qualifications, credibilities, or sanity. Individuals may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to on the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, consult with a licensed medical physician, not just the spirit of your ancestors while on ayahuasca.